Thank you for listening to a Christ-centered message from Grace Community Church. We are committed to proclaiming the authority of God's Word without apology and trust that you will receive encouragement as we study today's passage together. In our Bibles, we're going to go to Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6, and today we're going to be looking at verses 14 and verse 15. So Jesus taught on uh, the prayer. It's commonly called the Lord's Prayer. But as we saw a few weeks ago, this is actually the prayer that the Lord gave for the disciples, a pattern for prayer, so that we can grow in our lives of prayer. Now, forgiveness and discipleship, beloved, they go hand in hand. They go hand in hand. It's a powerful witness when we as Christians, we learn that we are forgiven and how to forgive others. When Jesus walked this earth 2,000 years ago, that was his call. It was his call to discipleship. When he saw the fishermen out on the seashore and he walked by and he intersected with their lives and he called them, it's recorded in Matthew 4 and verse 19, and Jesus said to them, follow me and I will make you fishers, but not a fish, fishers of men. So I grew up singing that song, make you fishers of men. And that's what Jesus called them. He called them to discipleship. And in Matthew 10 and verse 38, Jesus said, and whoever does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. So whenever Jesus talks about the cross, that's not a shiny gold emblem around your neck. That is an instrument of death. He talks about taking up your cross and follow me. And in Matthew 16 and verse 24, Jesus tells his disciples and he explains this call to discipleship where he says, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. So the question goes out to all of us, have you become a follower of Jesus Christ? Are you a disciple of Jesus Christ? Have you laid down your life to follow life, to have life in Jesus. And the old saying is this way, in dying, we are born to eternal life. That's what happens in conversion. That's what happens when a sinner repents. Now, Jesus' call to discipleship is supreme. And the only way, the only way that we can obey Jesus is if we are, in fact, a disciple of Jesus, is if he, by his Spirit, lives in us, because one of the greatest areas in our lives that we will struggle with is what the title of the message is today. How do we respond when people do us wrong or when we perceive that people do us wrong? How do we deal with these situations? Forgiveness. And forgiveness. If we are called as disciples then we, are, we have died to the kingdom of me, the kingdom of self, this small little fading kingdom. If we have been born again to eternal life, then we are alive to the kingdom of God. And that's this whole series that we're counterculture. We live different. We don't go the way everybody else does. There's something different about us because we're citizens of a different kingdom. And because we have been forgiven, then we forgive a few weeks ago, we went through our pathway of discipleship. It really affects everybody who's here and everybody who might be watching online. Where are you in this pathway of discipleship? 
Jesus left the commission for his disciples to go make disciples, baptize, and teach. And those three areas, go, baptize, teach, as we go, we proclaim the good news, we proclaim the gospel, you can be forgiven. And we baptize people who come to faith in Christ. Now, I know sometimes people may think, well, I may not be be very good at, at going and telling people about, uh, about Jesus or the gospel. or I might get a tongue tied. That happens to me. It's happened to me already today. Probably will happen more in the message. And you think, well, maybe what I learn more, maybe here's a very powerful, vivid way to go and preach the gospel. It's to live a life of forgiveness. It's distinctively Christian. It's radically different than everybody around us who keeps lists of who's done them wrong and who should have done better and all of the things that we can get into there. Our pathway of discipleship as we do this, all right, it's we exist to glorify God, reach people for Jesus Christ, connect them with other believers, equip them to grow in their faith. And what will be the outcome? They will say, where can I serve? I'm serving. I'm part of this family. I'm not just hanging out. I'm part of this family. Where is the place where I will serve? And so every person under the sound of my voice is in this pathway somewhere. Have you been reached? Have you trusted in the Lord Jesus Christ? Have you followed Christ in baptism? Have you connected to the local body? Are you being equipped under the teaching of the word of God in a small group community? And are you serving? Where is the place that God has prepared for you to serve? There's always opportunity, beloved. There are places to serve that have your name on that. On that position, we wanna help you in this way. As we live in this environment as disciples, then we live giving and receiving forgiveness. This is our discipleship. This is what happens in families, in marriages, parents, children, congregation, church members, elders, is giving forgiveness, receiving forgiveness. It's radically different than you offended me. I'm gonna go find another church now. And that church offended me. Hey, how's that new church? Well, I'm at another church now. Really, how's that going? And instead of being a good witness, it ends up being not a good witness if you're trying to find the place where no one offends you. (laughs) Where are you going to go from you? Where am I going to go from me? I offend myself half the time. Now look at the, in the slide that's going to come up, you're going to see the teaching that Jesus gives. And it's laid out on two sides. Okay, on the left-hand side is where Jesus, this is his teaching in the Lord's Prayer. On the right-hand side of the screen is the textual weight, the space given to forgiveness. It's the predominant theme of the disciples' prayer that Jesus teaches, and then verses 14 and 15, our text for today, he expands on that. He clarifies that. So I just ask you by looking at the screen, do you think that forgiveness is important to Jesus? Many people know the Lord's Prayer, but do we see the Lord's Prayer with a predominant theme in it, a heavy theme in it? Have you been forgiven? Are you a forgiving person? Do you extend that forgiveness to others? D.A. Carson, he says it this way, he says, the repetition 
that Jesus would teach it in Matthew 6 and verse 12 and then get back into it in 14 and 15, the, repu- the repetition serves to stress the deep importance for the community of disciples to be a forgiving community if its prayers are to be effective. Well, we're gathering for prayer tonight at 6 o'clock. If our prayer life as a church is going to be effective, we are going to be, we need to be, God help us to be a forgiving people. It's impossible, beloved, for us to walk in fellowship with God and not be a forgiving person. So when we're offended, when someone does us wrong, how quick are we to forgive and transfer that case into the higher throne, into the highest throne, and say, God, you are the one who judges righteously. I will let you be the one who renders out mercy and even punishment. That's your realm, not mine. So let's go to Matthew 6. Matthew 6, and the Lord begins, and we're just going to open our time in prayer, and we're going to pray through verses 9 and 10 and 11 and 12 and 13. And then we'll read the text that'll come on the screen in verses 14 and 15 for our study to get today. So let's pray together. Father, we come to you and your throne is in heaven. There is no one, there is no thing, there is no place higher than where you are and where your throne is and where you reign and rule and you have always reigned and rule. So we come to you, we draw near to you, and it is our prayer, Lord, that your name be honored, that I want to honor your name, my family to honor your name, our church family, Lord, to honor your name. May we not be those who misuse your name or misrepresent your name or abuse or blaspheme your name or belittle you by not representing you well, Lord. We need your help in this. Father, we are praying that your kingdom comes and that your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Father, not our will, but your will be done. We pray, Lord, I pray for those who name the name of Christ, who struggle with understanding whose kingdom they live for, where their time and where their energy and their resources are invested. Is that the kingdom that is eternal or is that in the small passing kingdom of self? Father, may your kingdom come. May your will be done. And then we bring to you our needs, Lord. We need daily bread. If our needs will be provided personally, as a family, as a church family, Lord, you have to provide. So we trust you, Lord. And we need you to forgive us our debts as we cancel the debts of those who have trespassed against us and offended us. Help us to grow in this even today, Lord, and lead us not into temptation, Lord, as you try and you test and you allow us to be tested, we need your guidance. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil, Lord. Keep us protected from the enemy. Keep us, Lord, as a church protected from those who do not love your church, who do not love your word, who do not love the gospel. Lord, we need your protection. Protect us from our own temptation and our own areas of rebellion and resistance, Lord. May we just bring all of that to you. Lord, you taught us this. Verse 14, 
For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Amen. As we unpack this message this morning, let's first of all define the opposite of forgiveness. What is unforgiveness? What does this look like? It's a definition that'll come on the screen. I'll be using a few things from these guys, Dr. Uh, Tim Clinton and Dr. Ron Hawkins. I'll be using a few of their things in this message. Uh, They offer helpful counseling resources for pastors. And this is what they define unforgiveness as. Unforgiveness is a state of resentment, bitterness, hatred, hostility, anger, fear, and stress toward an individual who has transgressed against another in some way. That environment, that's a dark environment. That's a difficult environment. If you want to really take a poll of kind of where we are in a nation right now, that's a pretty good snapshot of where people are living today. But there's another picture, and that's forgiveness. And forgiveness occurs when the cold feelings of unforgiveness are changed to warm, loving, compassionate, caring, and altruistic emotions because of a heartfelt transformation. Something changes in the heart that allows us to see others differently. It changes our perspective and our view. So this morning, we're going to see from this teaching of the Lord Jesus, four kingdom truths about forgiveness. Four kingdom truths about forgiveness, and these four truths abound in grace. They're just overflowing with grace. Oh, how dependent we are upon God's grace. So Jesus here delivers. He says, he gives us to this, a disciple of Jesus is forgiven. That's the first truth. A disciple of Jesus is, is forgiven. This is past tense. This has taken place in their life. Where does this happen? This happens at the entrance to God's kingdom. And it happens through a new birth. You remember what Jesus told to Nicodemus, you must be born again. He told that to a religious leader, a teacher of Israel. You must be born again. Unless one is born again, he will not see the kingdom of God. A disciple of the Lord Jesus is forgiven. How does this happen? How does this take place? Has this taken place in your life? Has has this occurred in your heart and in your life? First of all, a Christian has been cleansed from sin. This is past tense. This is the word justification, declared righteous. And this is a once-for-all transaction that happens in the life of a sinner, and it transitions them to be a saint, a child of God, set apart, declared holy. Have you been forgiven? Has this happened in your life that you have turned from your sin and trusted in the Lord Jesus? Then it's past tense. It's happened. It's done. That when a baby is born, placed inside of a family, That child is placed in that family, and it's for life. Now, as we grow older, there can be difficulty. There can be struggles in our fellowship in a family, but that doesn't change 
Whoever your father is, that, that's your father. Whoever your mother is, that's your mother. A Christian has been cleansed from sin. 1 John 1, 7, the apostle John says it this way. He says, but if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. This is John describing what happens at the moment of salvation, that a sinner is free, clean, washed, redeemed, accepted, loved, a child of God. It happens, it's a once for all, non-repeatable cleansing that happens when a sinner says, dear God, have mercy on me, save me. I plead the blood of Jesus. And that person is then born again. A Christian is also not just a one-time cleanse, but a Christian is being cleansed from sin. This is ongoing. We need this in our lives. This is what we know as sanctification. This is needed today, and in my life, I'm going to need this tomorrow. And then every day that I'm alive until Jesus returns or I am in my eternal state with Christ, I need to be forgiven. I'm surprised my family didn't say a louder amen there, but it's true, all right? This is daily. This is ongoing. This is what John is talking about in 1 John 1, 9, that if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. This is the ongoing cleansing that we need. This takes us back to John 13 in the upper room when Jesus washed the disciples' feet and he got to Peter and John would have remembered this. And Peter said, oh, Lord, you're not going to wash my feet. And Jesus said, if I don't wash your feet, you have nothing to do with me. You need cleansing. Your feet are dirty. Okay, Lord, you can give me the full. No, that's all right, Peter. You're clean, 1 John 1, 7. You've been, you belong to me, but your feet are dirty. You need the cleansing that I'm offering you. But then Jesus said this, and it's helpful for us. Not all of you. He said, not all of you are clean. And he's talking about Judas. Judas' heart was not cleansed. Jesus washed his feet, but his heart still remained unbelieving and evil and wicked, even unto his death. A disciple of Jesus is forgiven. Have you been forgiven? That's the question that is most important for us in all of our relationships, the people that we know, that we work with, that we live next to. Have they been forgiven? Are they a disciple of the Lord Jesus? How much time do they have? How many conversations will you have to talk to them about their standing before the one who died for them to forgive them their greatest need? Not protection from a virus. It's deliverance and forgiveness from sin. And that's what Jesus offers. Number two, the second truth is this. A disciple of Jesus must forgive. This is the expectation for God's children. We must forgive. Here's what he expects. You have been forgiven. You must forgive. But we need to understand exactly what we're talking about here. What is Jesus expecting of us? What is he instructing us to do and not do? Let me tell you this, beloved. The Lord knows how other people have hurt you, offended you, wronged you, abandoned you. Whatever has happened in your life, the Lord knows this. The Lord cares about where you are and what you are going through 
and he is for your healing. He is to rebuild you and remake you into a wonderful image that he has for you that we will be changed and made into the very likeness of Christ. I can recommend a book to you. It's written by Lisa Turquist, L-Y-S-A, Lisa Turquist. And she wrote a book. The book is titled Forgiving What You Can't Forget. And in this book, she unpacks that she went through her husband being unfaithful to her and how that brought up so much in her heart and in her life and so many issues that were inside of her, inside of her revealed by her husband's unfaithfulness. She says this in the book, and I found it helpful, and I share it with you, that forgiveness is both a decision and a process. It's both a decision and a process. She also says later on, she says, unhealed hurt often becomes unleashed hurt spewed out on others. Think about that. Unhealed hurt often becomes unleashed hurt spewed out upon others. Do you know anyone like that? Do you have a tendency to be like that? Sometimes it's easy for us to identify others like, yep, there, that's there. And we miss the areas that God would have us bring to him for healing and cleansing. Let's look at forgiveness, first of all, in a negative light, okay? Let's first, what, what forgiveness is not. Forgiveness is not, okay? Forgiveness does not mean that wrongs done to you are acceptable. Did you catch that? Forgiveness does, is not saying it's okay, if someone ever apologizes to you and says, will you please forgive me, do not answer with, if it's wrong and not okay, that's okay. It's belittling it. It's belittling the offense. It's belittling the forgiveness to say, it's okay. Well, if it's okay, then there was no need of forgiveness to be given. It's not, is it okay or is it not okay? Do you forgive or do you withhold forgiveness? That's the question. But to forgive someone does not mean that the wrongs done to you are acceptable. Forgiveness, secondly, does not diminish the evil done against you. It's not a denial of what happened. To forgive someone is not saying, I don't even know what happened. It is not a denial of what happened. It does not diminish the evil done against you. Thirdly, forgiveness does not take away the consequences the other person will face because of his or her, his or her sin. If you forgive someone, it doesn't release them from the consequences. If someone has done wrong and offended, broken the law, and they find God in prison, you will not hear that person saying, now can I have my life back? Think about the two thieves on the cross. One said, I'm about to meet God. Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. The other one said, if, you, if you're somebody special, give me my life back. To forgive someone does not take away the consequences. Fourthly, forgiveness does not depend upon the other person's actions. Well, how do you forgive someone? They've never asked me for forgiveness. I can't forgive them until they ask me forgiveness. I'm, are you God? You can forgive someone without them asking. If someone has hurt and offended you and they have passed away, you can still forgive them. It doesn't release them from consequences. It releases you. 
Forgiveness, finally, is not reconciliation. It is not reconciliation. It takes two to reconcile, but it only takes one to forgive. If you're going to try to reconcile with someone, you need two people. And maybe you've had a relationship like that. I know many under the sound of my voice, you've been through maybe even a divorce where you tried to do what's right and the other person, the other spouse would not. And maybe you've even held on to, you know, what is my responsibility in that? And how could I have maybe done that better? You can forgive them. It doesn't release them from the consequences. That doesn't mean that you can reconcile. It takes two to reconcile, but it only takes one to forgive. Now let's move into a positive light. And I know I'm going through these somewhat quickly, but this will be online this week, and you can always come back to this. Forgiveness is, number one, a key part of not letting those wrongs hurt you any longer. This is a significant step to where those past wrongs don't keep beating you up and dragging you down. It's forgiveness. Forgiveness is also letting go of your desire to hurt the other person. Put simply, forgiveness is when you cancel the debt, when you cancel the debt of that other person and you let go of your desires to hurt them. I'm going to get them back. You ever watch people do this in traffic? You see someone get cut off and all of a sudden, oh no, and they go after them. Happens all the time. Number three, Forgiveness is a difficult and uncomfortable process. It is a difficult and uncomfortable process. When you make a decision to forgive, God provides the grace and strength to forgive and to maintain a heart of forgiveness. You remember that account that I told you of when Corey Tim Boom, she made it out of the prison camp and she lived and the rest of her family died. And there she was and she was speaking, I think it was in Munich. And after the end of her talk, up came that German guard, Fraulein, it is so wonderful to hear of you speak of forgiveness. I was a, pri- a prison guard. And she knew him. And she was struck, just, just couldn't move. And she finally came, Lord, I will lift my hand and you have to do all the rest. And the Lord met her there in that moment. That's not saying it wasn't difficult being honest is it was the hardest thing she ever had to do to forgive. Number four, forgiveness is a gift that you give to the offender. It's a gift. It's a gift that you give to the offender. But forgiveness is not the same thing as trust. Trust must be earned. Forgiveness is freely given. Trust must be earned. And whenever someone in the name of Christ says that forgiveness should be given, and here's an individual that is, you know, guilty of crimes against children or, you know, various things like are in our news right now, and they should be forgiven, and here's your children back? Uh, no. That's contrary to Scripture. That's a, that's a, that's, continuing an environment of abuse. Forgiveness can be freely given, but that is not the same thing as trust. Trust must be earned. You must set boundaries. 
These men also give seven reasons to forgive, and I'm going to move through these quickly. Number one, forgiveness sets you free. Sets you free. You can move on with your life. Number two, it refuses to let the other person hurt you or have any continuing power over your life. Number three, it opens up your relationship with God. Number four, forgiveness keeps you from becoming bitter and thus protects those around you, your loved ones and people around you. Number five, forgiveness keeps you from becoming like the person who hurt you. And number six, unforgiveness doesn't hurt the perpetrator at all. It hurts only you. They go on with their life, and if you don't come to the place where you can forgive them, you are held, trapped, bound. Number seven is the greatest reason of all. Our greatest motive is Scripture commands us to be forgiving. That's our text that we're studying today. That disciples of the Lord Jesus are forgiven. Disciples of the Lord Jesus must forgive. And number three, the third truth is this, a disciple of the Lord Jesus, what are they going to do? They will forgive. This is a natural outworking. I have been forgiven. I'm instructed, commanded to forgive. So I will forgive. This is the evidence of God's children. It's evident that there's something different about that individual. Why would they forgive that person? It takes us beyond our human abilities. It takes us beyond our natural abilities. It takes us, you know, I can't just pull myself up by the bootstraps and forgive someone for offending me. I require a forgiveness from heaven. Let's look at Jesus' teaching now. Let's look at this text. His teaching is precise, okay? It's blatantly clear. We cannot miss it. We studied it a few weeks ago. Matthew 6, verse 12, Jesus says, and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And then verse 14, for if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. It's just clear. You, you can't get out of this any room to say, I'll forgive, but not for that. Worship that is disconnected from reality is idolatry. If we just go through the motions, but we're bitter and unforgiving towards someone, the Lord sees right through it. It's not being authentic. Jesus instructed in Mark eleven twenty five that this is essential. If we're going to be authentic before God, if we're going to be authentic in our relationships with others, then we must be forgiving. And Jesus says, and whenever you stand praying, forgive. If you have anything against anyone, so that your Father, also who is in heaven, may forgive you your trespasses. Anyone, anything, forgive them. Forgiveness is essential, beloved. If our prayers are going to be heard and answered, Psalm 66, 18, the psalmist said, if I had cherished iniquity in my heart, the Lord would not have listened. That's wrongdoing, just holding on to it. I'm not gonna let that go. I'm not gonna do that. It's displeasing to the Lord. And then Peter writes to husbands, 
Okay, six verses, 1 Peter 3, 1 through 6, are instructions to wives, to women, and the men get one verse. You remember when we went through this? Some of you were here about 14 years ago. We went through 1 Peter. And at first look, it's like, wait a second. How come women get six verses and then men get one? Well, look at the command given in this one verse. Men, just dwell with your wives with other understanding. That's, that's, that's it. That's all you have to do. Dw- understand your wife. Dwell with your wife with understanding. And every man says, I can't. How am I supposed to do this? If I, what does he say? Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel since they are heirs with you of the grace of life so that your prayers may not be hindered. So that your prayers may not be hindered. I wish I could tell you that all of my prayers as a married man for 25 years have been unhindered because I've always dwelt with my wife. I'm not, I'm no hero here. The Lord in his mercy has been faithful to me. My wife has been faithful and forgiving. But at times going through praying and it feels like there's a brass ceiling. Well, sometimes it's because of this right here. Holding on to, keeping a list and not forgiving. This is in every relationship for us, beloved. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 18. In Matthew 18, Jesus expands a little further. He does it by way of a parable. And Peter, you know, the, always the one talking, comes up to Jesus. He probably has something prepared that he thinks Jesus will be impressed with. This is amazing, Peter. You can go to the head of the class. You can graduate, you know, summa cum laude. You're just here. Here's the keys right now, Peter. No. Verse 21, Matthew 18, Then Peter came up and said to him, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times. How about that, Jesus? Seven times, huh? Seven Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but 77 times or seven times 70. Like, in other words, the point of what Jesus is saying, stop keeping a record of how many times you forgive it. You got the little batter, you know, the little click, 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 click. There's seven, huh? Pretty good. And Jesus, Jesus is saying, keep clicking. 77, keep clicking till you forget your clicking. Stop clicking. That's what he's saying. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king. So Jesus tells a story. That's helpful for us to understand. And this king wished to settle accounts with his servants. Verse 24, when he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. The amount of money here is a huge amount. And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children, thanks, Dad, and all that he had, and payment to be made. You're indebted, so now you're mine until you work off your debt, which he could never do in a lifetime. Millions he owed to this king, his master. So the servant, in verse 26, fell on his knees, imploring him, have patience with me and I will pay you everything. Remember that. Even though he couldn't, he said it. In verse 27, out of the pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave him the debt. 
canceled the debt, took the debt on himself. Verse 28, but when that same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii and seizing him, he began to choke him. Nice guy here saying, pay what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him. Hmm, maybe he heard this somewhere before. Have patience with me and I will pay you. Now, he could have done that. A few months wages, that's all he owed. He refused and went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. When his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed. And they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. Then his master summoned him and said to him, you wicked servant, I forgave you all of that debt because you pleaded with me and should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant. You see what, the, that's mercy. I showed you mercy and you didn't show mercy. I had mercy on you. Verse 34, and in anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debts. So also Jesus says, my heavenly father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. From the heart. That's a genuine act of forgiveness. Now, what is the main point of what Jesus is teaching here? This was unthinkable. This is, you can't even imagine that someone forgiven an immeasurable debt would not forgive a pennies on the dollar, nothing debt. He was just forgiven. That's the point that Jesus is making here. That if somebody who says, I'm a Christian and they won't forgive, it's unthinkable. You can't fathom this. This makes no sense at all. How, are you sure you've been forgiven? Do you understand how much you were forgiven? Oh, yes. Do you really? Because if you do, if you did, you can't choke the guy over here who owes you a little bit. And you were forgiven a lot. What's wrong with this picture? That's what Jesus was leaving for his audience. And that's what he leaves for us to say, if you have been forgiven and you know you are commanded for, to forgive, you will forgive. And if you won't forgive, then you have to do evaluating of why don't I forgive? Where am I missing? Where am I lacking understanding? Where am I lacking grace? Have I been forgiven? It's popular for people to talk about toxic people right now, labeling toxic people. I'm gonna you know, put boundaries around, stay away from toxic people. Here's the problem with that, beloved. The, digger, the, the deeper that I dig inside of me, what do I find? More sin, toxic, it kills you. And as soon as I become the person identifying all the other toxic people, do you know what I'm proclaiming all over to the world? I'm most toxic because I can't see my own sin. I don't understand my own debt that has been forgiven. That's not to be confused with protecting children and protecting people. John Stott says it in a, such a helpful way. He says, our Lord certainly does not mean that our forgiveness of others earns us the right to be forgiven. It is rather that God forgives only the penitent and that one of the chief evidences of true penitence is a forgiving spirit. Once our eyes have been opened to see the enormity of our offenses against God, 
the injuries with which others have done to us, the injuries which others have done to us appear by comparison extremely trifling. If, on the other hand, we have an exaggerated view of the offense of others, it proves that we have minimized our own. It is the disparity between the size of debts, which is the main point of the parable of the unmerciful servant. So do I minimize my wrongdoing and maximize the wrongdoing of those other people? Or do I begin with how much I have been forgiven, maximizing my wrongdoing, minimizing those around me? Anybody else feel like we're swimming in the deep end here? Like ocean deep end? This quickly takes us beyond our, I'm just going to get it done. Not without the grace of God. Not without the Spirit of God. John MacArthur, he says it this way, an unforgiving spirit not only is inconsistent for one who has been totally forgiven by God, but also brings the chastening of God rather than his mercy. We don't want to live with an unforgiving spirit. We want to be forgiven. Jesus' teaching is precise. But his example is precious. And we think about, and we're going to celebrate and remember communion in a few moments. We think about what the Lord Jesus has done for us. It's precious to the child of God that he laid down his life, that he provided mercy and grace, that the justice of God was held intact because Jesus paid the debt that we should pay. Do we ever move beyond this? Do we ever graduate beyond this? We shouldn't. This should humble the longest, the oldest believer as it does the newest believer. He forgave me everything. Luke 23, 34, his example. Jesus on the cross said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. And what were they doing right below his feet? Gambling for his garment. Getting his stuff. Who gets his stuff? He's dying, suspended between heaven and earth for the sin of all who would turn and trust in him. And there they are. Who's going to take home his garment? And he's forgiving. Father, forgive them. A disciple of Jesus is forgiven. Must, they're commanded to forgive. They must forgive. They will forgive. That's the evidence. And number four, the fourth truth is this. As a disciple of Jesus, we live together in forgiveness. As disciples, we live together in forgiveness. What's the opposite of living? Dying. The opposite of forgiveness is bitterness. It's a downward spiral that sucks the life out of every person within its grip. And Jesus is saying, there's a better way because I opened it myself. I made the way myself. This environment is for God's children. 
that we live in the environment, we live in the atmosphere of grace, that we give freely grace and we receive freely grace. And we give forgiveness and we receive forgiveness. We extend forgiveness to others and guess what is extended to us? What we desperately need. I forgive you. Will you forgive me? I forgive you. It's forgiveness. The New Testament is so clear on this that the writer who watched Stephen, the first martyr of the church, have his life snuffed out of him as stones were thrown, he fell asleep and was taken to the presence of the standing Son of God. And there is Saul just spewing and overflowing with bitterness and religiosity and I'm a Pharisee and I'm better than everybody and I hate this guy and he can die in front of my eyes and he dies saying, cancel their debt, Lord. Put anything they owe on me. And he falls asleep and Saul's holding the garments and can't ever shake that scene out of his life. And Saul, who becomes Paul the apostle, writes to the Roman church, Romans 12, 19, beloved, loved ones, family of God, church, do not avenge yourselves, but rather give place to wrath, for it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. Take your cause, wrong done to you, and take it and name it to the Lord. Give it to the Lord. And let him be the one. And while we do that, we say, and God, remember, you showed me mercy. Would you show mercy out on those who seem to be enemies of your church, enemies of the gospel, maybe even personal enemies? Paul writes to the Ephesians, Ephesians 4, 29, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up, as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted. What are we supposed to do? Forgiving one another. Uh, how much, Paul, as God and Christ forgave you? Huh, where did he come up with that teaching? Jesus. What's the standard for our forgiving? As God in Christ forgave you. Colossians 3, verse 12. Here, put this on. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness. Put on humility. Put on meekness. Put on patience. Put on bearing with one another. And, and if anyone has a complaint against another, what are we supposed to do? Forgive each other. Forgive each other. Uh, how much? As the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. Whew. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ referee in your hearts. And that's wrong. Holy Spirit, what do you say about this? Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts to which indeed you were called in one body and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness 
in your hearts to God. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Beloved, I am, I am thankful. I think one of the greatest works that God has done in my heart in the last recent years is growing gratitude in my heart. Just being grateful for who God is, for what he's done, for family and church family and friends that are the for life friends who take these verses and say, God, help me. Uh, let your peace rule in my heart and I'm not gonna be offended. I'm just gonna forgive because you have forgiven me. And we're right back in the, you've forgiven me. I've got a reason to be thankful. And somebody said something or did something, but I'm forgiven, don't you understand? Remember Joseph in the Old Testament and his brothers showed up and he knew them. They didn't know him. And then finally dad dies and they think, oh boy, he is going to clean our clock now. He, he's, he's been waiting till dad dies and now he's going to get us. What does he say to him in Genesis 50, 20? He doesn't ignore the wrong that they did. He calls it what it is. You meant evil against me. You guys were nasty brothers. You were horrible brothers. Let me tell you what God did. What you meant in evil toward me, actually God was overriding your actions and sovereign over your actions, and he meant it for good because there are many people alive because of what you did for evil, God meant for good. What a testimony that is. Two quotes from Corey Ten Boom that she came out of that and she grew in that moment where she forgave that German guard and how God grew her and taught her about forgiveness and she would write. One quote she says is this, forgiveness is not an emotion, it is an act of the will and, and, then, and the will can function regardless of the temperature of the heart. That's what she did when she said, I will lift my hand. I will lift my hand. I can't do anything to want to forgive this guy, but I'll lift my hand in, in an act of forgiveness. And she said the Lord met her and gave her what she didn't have. So she's not writing about, I heard this said once. She's saying, I hated that guy. And all I could do was lift my hand and the Lord met me there and did the rest. She also said this, Forgiveness is setting the prisoner free only to find out that the prisoner was me. She was a prisoner. When she uses that word prisoner, she wore the prison garments where so many died. All of her family died. But forgiveness is where she said she was set free. There's going to come up a picture on the screen. And I have this picture just kind of held here until I finish this quote. This, is, this happened in 2018. Botham John is the larger picture, a big smile, infectious smile. His younger brother is Brant, Brant John. Botham was a follower of Christ, lived in Dallas. He was in his apartment in 2018, in the fall, 
eating ice cream, watching TV. Amber Geiger was a police officer that got off duty. She parked on the wrong floor. She was distracted. She was on the phone, involved in things she should not have been involved in. She went in the wrong floor. She opened the door to what she thought was her apartment. And in the apartment, she saw both of them. She was disoriented. She was coming from work. Her sidearm was on her side. She was freaked out. He was freaked out. Who's a woman? There's an officer coming into my apartment. They both reacted and she put, she shot him twice. And she didn't realize what had happened until she began to look around that apartment and try to make sense of what had happened. And then she realized and she went and looked and I'm not in my apartment. The 911 call is just horrific. It's heartbreaking. This went to trial and in 2019, the jury gave her a 10-year sentence for murder. The picture of Brandt is the younger brother on the witness stand when it's all said and done, and I cannot play the video because of copyright. You can find the video. It's easy to find. But I want to read you what he said because his, it, his unprepared, unscripted, from the heart act of forgiveness is embracing and embodying and fleshing out an entire sermon in and of itself that will never be forgotten. This is what he said in this moment, trying to make sense as he's speaking across the courtroom to Amber Geiger, who has been found guilty of shooting his brother. And he said this, I don't want to say it twice or for the hundredth time what you've or how much you've taken from us. I think you know that. But I just, I hope you go to God with all what, all the guilt, all the bad things you may have done in the past. Each and every one of us may have done something that we're not supposed to. You hear that? He said, if you are truly sorry, I know I can speak for myself. I, I forgive you. It wasn't easy for him to say. And I know if you go to God and ask him, he will forgive you. And I don't think anyone can say it. Again, I'm speaking for myself. I'm not even batting for my family, but I love you just like anyone else. And I'm not gonna say, I hope you rot and die just like my brother did, but I personally want the best for you. And I wasn't ever going to say this in front of my family or anyone but I don't even want you to go to jail. I want the best for you because I know that's exactly what both of them would want you to do. And the best would be give your life to Christ. I'm not gonna say anything else. I think giving your life to Christ would be the best thing that both of them would want you to do. Again, I love you as a person and I don't wish anything bad on you. Then he sat there. And he said, I don't know if this is possible, but can I give her a hug? You know, he's asking the judge, can I give her a hug, please? And the judge doesn't answer right away. Please? And the judge responds, yes, you can. And the next picture is the picture taken from an article where they're questioning this kind of forgiveness where those who, who 
like to keep racial tension stirred up. They didn't like his act of forgiveness. They didn't think, the way they perceived that was you can't just dismiss this. He wasn't dismissing this. He was giving the love of Christ over this and he embraced her. Just the next picture is just the full screen of what it looks like as a follower of Christ, him knowing his brother, a devout follower of Christ, and simply giving what was given to him. His words will come up on the screen because I think it's a fitting invitation. After a sermon like this, I want the best for you. Because I know that's exactly what both of them would want you to do. And the best would be give your life to Christ. Find forgiveness in Christ. Go to God. Is that where this sermon finds you today? In need of forgiveness? In need of giving forgiveness? Here's the summary of the sermon. A disciple of Jesus is forgiven. A disciple of Jesus must forgive. A disciple of Jesus will forgive. And guess what we get as disciples? We get to live in the environment of forgiveness. That's where life is. We will kill our relationships to not learn about God's forgiveness. Throw away the lists you're keeping on people. Give it to God. And remember, he canceled the list against you if you have come by faith and trusted in the Lord Jesus Christ. So the questions this morning, where are you struggling to possibly receive forgiveness? I just don't think I can be forgiven. Or give forgiveness. Give, receive. Where are you struggling there? And what is that next step for you to enter into forgiveness, to enter into that kind of life that is giving and receiving forgiveness? What is your next step? Can we help you take that step? Part of that step is remembering Jesus, his body broken, his blood shed. Why? To forgive. Father, forgive them. Let's stand together. Right, right on cue. There it is. We're, I'm going to pray, and we're going to sing, and then we're going to remember communion. Father, thank you. Thank you for the cross, and thank you for the gospel, and thank you for the resurrection, the hope that we have in Christ. Thank you that we do not have to carry the weight of our sin, but we may carry all our anxiety, all our sin, everything, and we can take it to you in prayer. Father, I thank you. And I praise you in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you again for listening to Teaching from the Word at Grace Community Church. We are located in Richmond, Michigan. You can find us online at mygracechurch.com. Please subscribe and follow us at My Grace Church. It would be greatly appreciated if you would take a moment to rate, like, and share this message. We want you to always remember that you are loved.